0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast! We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Today we consider what the scripture says about the essential role that women play in the life of the church. Uh, We're in the middle of a series called Church Matters, and the reason we're taking some time right now is as we come, whatever this means, out of the COVID season, one of the questions that regularly is being addressed by the church is, do we need the church? Most pastors I interact with have the same experience that we have, that a lot of people have yet to come back to a church setting. They have yet to come back to a group of people. It's not that they have left redemption or left their churches, but they're just wondering, do they need a church? And so we just began thinking, well, why do we need a church? What is the church? What should the church be doing? And so we've been spending the last couple of weeks and months together talking about the topics of the church. And we have defined the church this way, that the church is the people of God, And yes, the people of God meet at a building, at a place, at a certain time, and they do activities together. But inherently, at the very root of what the church is, it's a people. And this people exists at a certain time that if we don't know where we exist in God's story and what time it is in God's story, we're not going to know what our role is in God's story. And so we spent some time looking at what God's story is and where the church fits into that. And what we saw is that the church fits in the story of God to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at next week. This week, there's one last clause that I skipped over because we have been talking about the idea that the church is the people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, what we have come to see in our study is that the church has been empowered by the Spirit and the Spirit is giving gifts to the church. He is equipping people in the church with roles, with uh, uh, particular uh, talents and abilities and abilities to do things to build up the church, to strengthen the church, so the church has a strong witness together. And what we've been looking at is that last week, one of the gifts that God gives to the church is elders. And we talked last week about what elders are. This week, I've thought to myself three times this morning already, I have five other sermons I want to preach, not this one. Everyone's just going to be mad at me, okay, and it's not going to go well, but this week's topic is actually very difficult, and in our culture, it's very controversial. The topic we're going to deal with this week, I believe, is actually the most debated controversial topic in the church right now. So why are we talking about it? I don't know. But I think what we should come to see is that in every culture, there's things about the biblical ethic and the biblical story that in every culture matches. So for instance, in the Western society, for the most part, we love a comeback story. We love forgiveness. We love second chances. If you go over to the East... They don't like that. You're done. You're out forever. So like, or you, we could compare these in different ways, but what you see is like the sexual ethic is probably much more closer in the East than it is in the West. Does that make sense? Like the idea is that in every culture, there are pieces that actually cause this or, you know, go in line with the biblical narrative, but there is in every culture as well things that go against the bible. And if the bible does not contradict at least some of your thoughts about life, then you probably don't worship the God of the Bible. I don't know if you heard me on that, but I really want to like step on that for a second. If the bible does not contradict you, then you probably don't worship the God of the Bible, you worship the God of your own imagination. Because there are things in Scripture that are difficult to believe, difficult to accept. And in order for God to be God, He is going to contradict some of your values, some of your beliefs. Because cultures change, values change from generation to generation. And yet, what we see in Scripture is that God is constant, His values are not depending upon the prevailing minds and the media outlets. In Joe Rogan, God's values are dependent upon his nature and his character, in which when people adopt his values, there is actually flourishing for all people in that particular situation. So what's the issue that we talk about today? The issue we talk about today concerns the role of women in the church, especially in relationship to being an elder. And as I mentioned, I don't think there's a greater, hotter topic in the church than this issue today. Historically, you can look at this if you want or I can show you. I'm going to say this a lot too. If you want to meet me in the corner afterwards and punch me, let's go. All right, I'm ready to go. Um, So I'm not going to be able to address everything this morning, and I'm not going to be able to prove, look, I got some people already ready, and someone told me they brought tomatoes. I'm ready for it, okay? (laughs) Um, But the point is, is that I'm not going to be able to... Prove to you everything. But if you want more things on what I'm saying, I will definitely direct your attention to some resources. Historically, the church has seen the role of elder primarily reserved for a man and not a woman. And yet, in our generation, that has begun to change. Now, does history prove anything? No. Does that make sense? Just because historically it's done that way doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's true. And so the question we want to ask is, what does the Bible say? And I think this is really important, because we don't want to base our understanding first and foremost as important as they are, as we talked about last year and we'll continue to talk about. We're not going to base our understanding based on our emotions, Like, I don't think this is fair, I don't think Scripture knew what Paul was talking about, and we're not going to base it on our experiences, because what we know is that what is more true, our experiences or God's Word? So what we want to do is, in some sense, ask the question before we approach this, just with the idea, what does God say? Now, the primary passage that we deal with this morning is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, And verses 11 and 12 and 13. And this is what the Bible actually says. I didn't make it up. Okay? I didn't change anything. This is just what it says. It says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay? Okay? I actually picked the NIV, which is a very loose, I didn't pick like the most conservative translation out there, I picked a pretty neutral one, okay? And this is how they interpret it. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Jesus, we need you to help us this morning um, to hear what you have for us to hear To see the beauty and the value of how men and women relate to each other and how when they do properly and fully, flourishing in peace and wholeness, like a spring that just continually flows over and it brings joy and it brings a witness that we long for. And so we give you praise for what you'll do in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do is this, this morning, I'm going to just walk through the text with you, highlight some things here and there. Then I'm going to talk about common objections to the text, like some things people talk about the text. And then I want to close with what I really want to talk about. Does that make sense? So that was the order. Let's just walk through the text. Let's talk about objections people make to the text, and then close with what? I want to talk about. Number one, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. What does it mean she should learn in quietness and full submission? I think what Paul is after here is like later on in 1st Timothy chapter 5, he says on the next slide, he says this, besides the women... They are getting, not all women, some women are getting into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Okay, now I know some of you guys are like, right, exactly, that's what women do and wrong on you, okay? This is just some of the women who just had too much free time and were causing uproar in the way that they were being busybodies and gossiping. That was not creating a quiet community. It was creating a chaotic community. So quiet here has more to do with a demeanor and a way of life than you just shutting your mouth and never talking. So quiet here has an idea of what it means to have a demeanor of having a quiet In fact, that's what Paul says in the earlier in chapter 2, that we should desire a quiet and peaceful life. Number two, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Much of the problem in Ephesus that Paul is dealing with in this section is there is a false doctrine, false teaching that is being promoted and he's instructing Timothy on how to deal with that false teaching. And what is probably happening is that the Ephesian women are involved in this false doctrine. And it's not just the women, it's the men too, okay? So when I say things, and I say, see, it's just, these are some of the dumb things people say. See, the women are the ones who get more susceptible and swept into false doctrine. That's stupid, okay? Like, I think that's ridiculous. But what I do think is happening is that in Ephesus, there are a group of women along with men who are involved in this false teaching. And Paul wants to tell Timothy how he should order the church in order to make it a witness that it should be. Now, what we want to say about I do not permit a woman to teach, number one, is that this is not a blanket prohibition of women teaching anyone or everyone. Because we see women teaching and commanded to teach Elsewhere in Scripture. So, this is not a blanket statement that women can never teach. That would be ridiculous. In fact, Titus chapter 2 says the older women are commanded to teach who? The younger women. Timothy learned his faith from who? His mother and his grandmother. Uh, Here's a fun one if you really want to think through this a little bit. There is a man named Apollos in Acts chapter 18. And he came to faith and became a prominent part of the early church's ministry. And you know who taught him the word of God? A woman. Okay, everyone okay with that? Priscilla and Aquila taught the way of Jesus to a early church leader whose name was Apollos. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 says, all believers are to teach all believers. So this is not a blanket thing that women cannot teach. In fact, it's a very specific thing. And what are they not to teach? This word teach in in the pastoral epistles, which are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We call them the pastoral epistles because they have a lot of information on elders and pastors. But this word teaching that Paul uses in these three books are used 20 times. And every time they're used, it's in reference to authoritative gospel proclamation. The overwhelming use of this word in in the New Testament describes the positive teaching of the way of Jesus, the way of the gospel. So, what Paul is really saying is they're allowed to teach. They're just not allowed to teach who? Here comes the fun part, over a man, okay? This is why we have an elevated pulpit to look down so that we're over, I'm kidding, okay? The idea here is that when we look at this authoritative instruction that is reserved for the elders, it is reserved for the men, The authoritative teaching of the household of God, Paul says, is reserved not for women but for men. And I want to go back and make one more caveat. I forgot to make this sentence or this statement earlier. Is this, is that Paul when it says women are to live in full submission and quietness, that is not every woman should be submissive to every man. You hear me? There's only two people that the women are to submit themselves to. Their husbands and the elders. So, wives, you're not called to submit to me, okay? Well, I'm your elder, so maybe. But, like, I'm just saying, like, there's not, like, this domineering, like, every man is over every woman. There is this idea that Paul is guarding the health of the church, the life of the church, the witness of the church, by ensuring that the leadership, the eldership, is for men, Number two, number three rather, Paul goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority. Women, according to Paul, should not, in a sense, hold executive authority and power in the life and the structure of the church. This role, Paul says, is reserved for elders Elders are the individuals, the team of people who God has assigned the role to lead, to oversee, and to shepherd from an authoritative executive role. In conclusion, Paul does not want women to be leading in the sense of being an elder in the church. And the way that we relate these two concepts together is do not teach and do not exercise authority is that what we see is that the primary way the elders exercise their authority is how? Through their teaching, through their instruction, through equipping the church. Now, how many of you just think this sounds really dumb and flies against everything we believe about equality of men and women? And I'm like, I'm right there with you. But why does Paul do this? In the very next verse, he grounds something that we need to do business with. And he says, Here is why. Because Adam was formed first, and then Eve. Okay, the point that Paul wants to say is that there is a created order that is being followed here. This is not a random statement by Paul. Paul is not just being a chauvinist. If you know anything about the biblical ethic of the New Testament Christians, it elevated women far above most positions in all the worlds. Paul is not a chauvinist. Paul is not saying women are unintelligent. Paul is not saying women don't have leadership gifts. What he's saying is that the role of the elder in the church is reserved for men because it is based on the created order. Genesis 2 states that Adam was created first, then Eve. And for Paul, this indicates that God intended for there to be, in a sense, a male authority. The specific application of this principle, is that the Ephesian women should not try to reverse the created order by being in authority over men. And Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians 11, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. He makes this particular um, account as well in another later section, I'm not going to deal with that one now with too much time. But this is kind of a regular pattern that Paul has is that the way that he views church leadership is based on a created order, not a post-fall, not a post-rebellion, post-sin order. Paul's emphasis is that in Genesis chapter 2 is that God created Eve, not lesser, not in any way inferior, but as someone who could come alongside and help Adam. You know why? Because Adam named two million animals and he got all done. He was like, well, that was fun. But there's no one here like me. Okay? Like, I'm going to leave that alone. No, I'm just going to say If you have 2,000 animals and you have no human friends, I'm wondering, like, what's happening? Like, because the point is, is like, There's no one like you until you find a helper who can come alongside of you as a human, who can complete you and help you and be with you. And that doesn't have to be in a marriage context. It's just in the context of humanity that what Paul is after is that there was no one to come and compliment him. And so what God did is he created a helper, someone to compliment him, to come and be of his own flesh. So, in conclusion... I think what this passage is saying is Paul, because of the created order, is grounding the authority of the church, and primarily through the authoritative teaching, is reserved for men, and that when women take up that role, they're reversing the created order that God intended for his creation. So, in some ways... That seems pretty straightforward. In other ways, it's not. What do people who believe the opposite of me do, and how do they get around this passage? Here are some objections that people have. And they range from, well, depending on where you are and what you think, but they're all over the map. Number one, and these are not the only five objections. Does that make sense? There could be like 200 probably. I'm just dealing with five of the main ones. Number one, The first objection is this, is that women in Paul's day were by and large uneducated, so they were not as prepared and equipped to teach. So what is their argument? They just didn't have the ability to be educated back then. And now that we live in the world that we live in, they have far more education, far more abilities to learn, far more abilities to understand Scripture. So that that was just something back in that day. So, what do we say to that? (laughs) I'm like, okay, that might be true. But I think, by and large, most people were uneducated back then. And the fact is that women already helped teach other men in the Bible and were called to teach younger women also goes against this idea. Because they were educated enough to teach other women. Priscilla and Aquila were educated enough to teach Apollos. I just don't think that's what Paul was saying. He's grounding it in just that culture that there was no education Number two, people would say this. This was, in a sense, a first century cultural cultural mandate. One Paul would surely abandon if he were alive today. You know, and it's always like people are always saying, the church is always on the wrong side of history. Have you heard this? Like with slavery and these other issues, we're always missing the points, missing the boats, and we live... In a first century world, in a 22nd century, 21st century world. And the point that they want to say here is that if the trajectory of culture and how the world moved, if Paul were alive today, he would not have this same mandate. But I would ask this question would Paul change his sexual ethic today? Would Paul change other things just because it's 2,000 years later? And what I want to say is I want to be very careful that we don't base things just because it was that time. Okay? Now, if you want to, this is a little caveat, okay? The Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. I gave none of you a holy kiss this morning, and don't try to give me one on the way out. Okay? So what is a holy kiss? Is that a first century, like, practice that we don't practice anymore? Okay, all of you, you know, in order to obey God's word fully and perfectly today, you need to give each one of you a holy kiss on the way. Is that what we believe? So, how do we get around that but not get around the women elders thing? Are you with me on this? So, I think one of the ways you do this is how do you deal with the culture issue, is you got to look underneath the principle. What's the principle underneath the thing? And then look at the practice. The principle under greet one another, the holy kiss, is what? What's the principle of that practice? Connecting. Connecting. Welcoming. Showing appreciation and love for other people, right? I mean, I don't know exactly... I've done a little bit of research, but it's almost like the Italian kiss, you know, like you kiss the, on each side of the cheek, like you do that to me and I'm going to be like, that was strange, right? But you do it in Italy, in Europe, and it's just normal. The principle underneath it is friendship and hospitality and to receive people, and that was a practice that they did in the first century. What do we do today? Yeah, we do weird things like handshakes, chest bumps, hugs, all kinds of things. The side hug, the group, you know, yo bro. Like all those things. Like that's, that's the principle. And I think if Paul were writing today, he'd be like, yo guys, give each other bro hugs. You know, that's the message version. But the point would be the message version. But the point is that you look underneath the principle to see the practice. What is the principle underneath women elders? It's creation. That doesn't change. The created order doesn't change because we're 2,000 years later. So, I don't think we can just say this was a first century thing. I think it continues on because it's grounded in something that is permanent, which is creation. Number three, because people get around this passage by this way, because this verse has been taken in so many ways by different scholars, we would be silly to believe everything we believe about women and pastors on this one verse. Basically, they say this, this verse is too unclear, so we're just going to skip it and look at what everything else the Bible says, okay? And in, in some ways, again, I want to, like, how do you interpret the Bible? You interpret the Bible when there's a hard passage with what? The easier, clearer passages. That's one of the things that we teach about how to interpret your, uh, interpret your Bible. When you run across a hard passage, you look at what the rest of the Bible says. Are you with me on that? And it will harmonize, and it will come together. And they say to just base your entire belief on women pastors on this one passage Is just crazy. But then they cite things like this. And this is not a bad thing. But they cite, well, look at the Old Testament. You have Deborah, right, who was a judge. Okay, and just so we're clear, Israel at that time wasn't like this monarchial nation. Deborah was in charge of a region. She was a judge of a particular region. Not the whole nation, not the whole country, but just a particular, like a state, if you will. And so Deborah is looked at, look at, God used Deborah in a leadership position. Or they come to uh, a famous one like who are the very first people who see Jesus out of the grave? Women. Who are the very first people to preach that Jesus rose from the dead? Women. Who are the very first people to preach the gospel? Women. So they use that passage to say, look at God uses Old Testament women, Deborah, God uses New Testament women to preach the gospel, and then they go to passages like in Romans chapter 16. In chapter 16, there's actually like 16 women mentions who are used in the life and the ministry of Paul. And I want to say yes and amen to all those things. They just don't ever connect women in eldership. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Without women, the church can't be the church, Women are called to preach the gospel and teach people and do all these wonderful things, but just because Deborah was this and the women saw this and this is this does not equate that they can be elders. Further, this is just a little caveat, there is no woman elder ever mentioned in the New Testaments. Moreover, let's lastly, this is, well, I'm just going crazy today. So, lastly, let's think of this. If Paul was saying women could be pastors or elders, right after this passage, the very next thing in chapter three, two verses later, he starts to list all the qualifications that are required for a pastor. You write me like this isn't some different context or some different topic. He's saying here, I don't permit this because of the created order, women, you will be saved through childbearing. We'll talk about that in another time, what that means. And then he comes back to right after that, here's what you need to be in order to be an elder. And two things you'll notice in that list. Number one, Paul uses a consistent pronoun throughout the entire list. He. He must be. He must be. He must be. Now you can be like, well, in that time they used male pronouns as a thing for everyone. True, I believe that. However, one of them says, he must be a one-woman man. It never says, she must be a one-man woman. So the point is, is that if Paul really was allowing women elders and pastors, why does he give no qualifications for the woman in that list? It's because I believe, based on the created order, he is keeping women sorry, men, at reserving that role of eldership for men. Number four. Uh, oh man, I've already dealt with this. Women have been used by God throughout the biblical story, often in places of leadership and influence. And, you know, I mentioned Deborah, women. Oh, I, I forgot to mention another one they often use, is that the Spirit was poured out on men and women at Pentecost. And the list could go on and on about how valuable women are in the church. You know why? Because women are absolutely vital to the mission and the life of the church. And then lastly, I Googled. I shouldn't have done that this week. I just Googled it. Can women be pastors? And here just comes a list of, like, videos. And I'm not trying to be mean. But the number one reason that I kept seeing in all the videos was this. I know women this is a quote, not me. I know women pastors who have greatly encouraged me and are better teachers than most of the men I've heard in my life. So are you telling me that God isn't using them and God doesn't want them to be pastors? Right? This is like the, where it gets a little touchy. Um, because we have emotion involved in this one. We come with a presupposition. And... Listen, if God can make a donkey talk, he can use me. And if God can make a donkey talk, he can use things that go against what he's doing. But there is a way that God has created life, and when the church follows that, that it actually produces more harmony, more flourishing, more life, more witness to the city. And I would just say this, that if your experience goes against anything in Scripture, which should you trust more? Your experience... Or what the word of God actually says. So these are like the common objections. It moves from the culture of that time. To what the Bible actually says about women. To some like. Const, or like um, what about these people who have greatly encouraged me. And I should just say this. You know it's not a joke. You know there's some women who would. Run redemption church way better than I would. Okay like I believe that with all of my heart. We used to jokingly call our wives welders, women el- wife elders, because we believe that if they were in charge, things would be much more organized, much more fluid. So, like, this is, I hope you, like, sense for me, this is not, like, I, I wish I could go against what this is saying. Like, I want you to know, like, um, in some sense, I wish I could. I want to do what the Bible says. But I think as Christians, one of the things we should always be willing to do is challenge our presuppositions. We should always be willing to say, does the Bible really teach I'm only saved, what Nate said, by grace, through faith, and not by works? That is like a common thing, and I think we should come to Scripture and be like, you know what, if I can see that this is wrong, we should be willing to change. Like, I think we should be willing to re-examine the things that we believe, and and the the best we can, because we can never do it completely, come to the Bible with a neutral, unobjective, non-cultural understanding. So I want to close with three things, and I've mentioned some of these already, but I really want to highlight them. Number one, women are absolutely essential to the mission and the health of the church. I say essential because the church could not be the church without them. The church are not an added bonus. The church is not just, we could do it men by ourselves, but we got women just to come alongside and make it a little better. No, they are the church just as much as men are the church. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I struggled with this early in my pastorate, and I'm beginning to see the stupidity of my ways. I used to, in the foundations class, this is just going to be like, you're going to look at me and be like, you said that, I said that. Okay? And I apologize a thousand times and I don't do it anymore. But I used to say in the foundations class that if you were a woman in here, you're probably it's not that I don't like you, but I'm probably just not going to talk to you. I actually said that. You know why? Because I believed back then, the same thing I believe now, but it was in a different the way I worked that out was that if I get the men, I will get who? The women. And the families. And I put all of my attention on the men. And what that created was this idea that women became secondary, that women became just like added bonuses. And as I began to see how that belief in me was actually shaping people and how it affected my relationships with women, I began to see that that is so unhealthy. Unhealthy. And actually see that you are genuine sisters in Christ, and you need to be shepherded just like men need to be shepherded. And so I can say that, like, even in my own life, the the idea that, women, we need you is growing in a deep belief in my soul that we need you. You are valued in the community. Why? Because number two, women, you inherently possess the same value, dignity, and worth as men. Men do not have any greater value to the church, do not have any greater dignity, and we are not worth more than you. Like, we need to believe this deeply, that In some sense, there is no male or female. We are all one in Jesus. There is equality. There is this reality that on the new creation, we're going to be brothers and sisters for the rest of time. However, in the midst of all of that equality and that value and that dignity, there are differing roles in the relationships with your husband's And in the life of the church. In differing roles does not equate any lesser of importance or significance. You wanna know why I believe that? On the next slide, I have a very very convoluted slide. Just look at who our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all who? Are they all God? Are they all equal? Do they all possess 100% deity? Like, is Jesus fully God or just partially God? Is the Father more God than the Spirit is God? I think we'd have to come to Scripture and say those statements are false. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equal. They have the same value, their same essence. They are all God. And yet, when you look at that relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit, even though they have equal value and dignity, do they have different roles? Who's in charge? say the father who submits to the father's will the son and who carries out the will of the father through the son the spirit there is roles jesus doesn't be like i want to be in charge No, as they, in equal essence, oneness together, all are equal, they have differing roles. And do you see how that does not negate value, but it actually brings unity and joy? And so I think this is why the created order is male and female, and that there is this idea that, and here's another fun thing. Like, do you know that it takes male and female to create the whole, in a sense, the whole essence of God? We think of God as a father, and he loves you, and he corrects you, and he disciplines you. And I believe all those things, like as the traditional biblical role of a father in the Bible says. But you know what the book of Isaiah says? That God loves you like a mother loves her sons and brings her to nurse her. God says that about you. God loves you as a father. God loves you as a mother. And to be created in the image of God, to have the fullness of God on this earth, he created male and female. And he created the distinction between Adam and Eve to be one of headship and one to come alongside of helper, not because they were any less valuable, but just to maintain the image of God on earth. So, I've made 14 new enemies But I want you to know that I am, we are committed to understanding what the scripture says first. Committed to the scriptures above all. But number two, we are growing in our ability and what that means to allow women spaces, more spaces, to use their gifts because we believe you're essential to the life of the church. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.